welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. This is episode three of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast. I'm shifting gears a little bit this week. I've got Dr. Megan Walker on with me. She's a doctor and serial entrepreneur, and she's going to take a deep dive into a variety of things. Uh, Parkinson's Law, her caffeine and coffee habits first thing in the morning when she's doing her most creative work, and also on the entrepreneurial side, really understanding your why as a driving force behind your business. She also warns against perfectionism, so have a listen. Let us know what you think. As usual, I'm going to be listing my top three actionable items on the page that hosts this interview, and I'll also be posting the top brain hacks. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast. We've got an incredible guest today. Let me introduce you to Dr. Megan Walker, a naturopathic doctor, serial entrepreneur, and mother. She graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine and completed a science degree with a focus in reproductive physiology from the University of Waterloo. As an entrepreneur, Megan started and sold her first business while still in university and went on to found a national youth engagement organization called Millennium Kids, which taught responsible social activism in schools across Canada, Australia, and South Africa. Megan is co-founder and past CEO of the digital health media startup Bright Almond, and she has most recently launched The First 18, an online incubator for new clinician entrepreneurs. Megan has served on the executives of both the Canadian and Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors. She maintains a boutique practice in downtown Toronto, catering to entrepreneurs and inspired individuals looking to maximize their brain and body. When not satisfying her entrepreneurial itch, she is hanging out with her three little girls and super supportive husband, Greg. Megan, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. And we've just caught you here where we're actually recording in the holiday season here. We're catching you on the back end of a holiday party. You've got so many things going on. Uh, How do you manage to fit it all in? I don't fit it all in. I've got balls dropping all over the place. But um, I realized a few years ago that balls, we think if they crash, it's a bad thing. But they're usually like fairly bouncy and um, no one really notices and you just kind of keep going. So um, we just this is life, right? It's busy. I think that's uh, that's already great advice for people, right? People want to balance things perfectly and have everything line up um, to a T. But, um, you know, you got to break a few eggs, right? You got to break a few eggs. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about being an entrepreneur and a doctor. Um, you know, obviously just being a doctor has its own um, qualities and, and, and years of practice to really find your niche. And of course, being an entrepreneur is the same. So, so bridging those two areas, what's that been like for you and, uh, and where are you at right now? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I find that the balance of like entrepreneurism and and doctor or the medical side isn't nearly as challenging as like clumping doctor and entrepreneur and balancing that on the parent side of things. And you know, like as a as um, as a naturopathic doctor and working with patients, and then as an entrepreneur, I kind of view them as as really similar job descriptions in that I identify as a professional problem solver. So if you're going to run a successful business, you have to solve problems, and people come to see us, as you know, with these really interesting medical situations, and they're like, no one can figure this out. So um, I feel like I oscillate between having this problem solving head on, where or hat on, where I can be really creative and 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 solution oriented. And then 
turning that off and coming home and then just being present with, uh, with my family, that's where I find is the, the, the biggest challenge. And, and for me, it's always been about just like creating that awareness of like knowing what environment I'm in. And I don't, I don't know about you, but certainly as an entrepreneur and as a practitioner, I'm constantly looking in that future state where I want to take them and how we're going to get there. And when you want to be with your family, you have to be in the present state. So it's, it's really for me about just being able to consciously put on the right hat when I'm in the right environment. But it took me a long time to be able to like identify what those, those two needs were. That's terrific. Cause that's such a, a simple statement, but it's actually really difficult for a lot of us to put into practice of that, like, you know, changing those hats so that you are in the present when you're with friends and family. And then also once you get into work, kind of kicking things up into that future and, and planning mode. Now, time management's obviously got to be a massive thing. I know even just having kids is a major thing with time management, um, being an entrepreneur and having kids. How do you, how do you organize your time or how do you, you know, how do you schedule your weeks, so to speak? Yeah. So, um, this is where balls sometimes drop. Um, and that's okay. I just now have realized that that makes me human. Um, nice. But, there you go. Reframe things, right? Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm a glass half full kind of person most of the time. Um, and you know, one of the things that I, I did in the last year is I really, I really tried to get focused. So rather than being like, here are my 10 priorities for the day, I was like, you can't have 10 priorities. You can have one, maybe worst case scenario, you can have two. Um, and so I've just got really, I don't like the word discipline, but it kind of took that where I sit down Sunday night, I have a really clear sense of what it is that I need to achieve that week or that month or that, that quarter to hit my goals. And Sunday night, I refine what that plan looks like in terms of what my priorities are for my kids, what my priorities are uh, for my business. And I, I prioritize each task each day. So rather than having this long, intimidating to-do list, I have two priorities and I know those are things that I have to knock off. Um, and I found that was really helpful from a time management piece. And then I also, I really resonated with this notion of, um, I think it's called Parkinson's law and Parkinson's law has now evolved into something a little bit different, but it started as this understanding that you, your work will expand to fit the amount of time that you have. So if you have a big project deadline and you've got three weeks to do it, you're really going to get it done in like the last four days. Uh, but you're going to think you need those three weeks. For sure. So, I set timer. Like I literally, I, I talked to some of my coaching students and I'm like, you, I, I totally geek out on this, but I literally set timers. I said, uh, you know, if I have patient files to finish, like you have 90 minutes to do it. It's like an exam. And I sit down and I watch that timer go down and I am super efficient with my time. I don't have distractions because I need to get it done. So I plan my week out um, and I literally schedule out how much time I have for things. And I try to be very disciplined around those boundaries. Yeah, that's definitely something for me that, you know, having kids and I'm sure same for you, that, that idea of just having that timer or almost like the hourglass gets tipped over every time you've got an open window because there is this definite end point to when you need to be somewhere else. So it's it's amazing how efficient that can make you. Um, now, question, we have a lot of kind of CEOs and different uh, entrepreneurs talking about the first part of the morning and these most productive hours. You know, are there times of the day when you like to do various things or the more difficult tasks in the morning or how do you... You know, how would you structure that in your day? Yeah, I definitely put the hardest things first. Um, and I put the things that require the most creative thought uh, first. And I really try to make that sacred time for myself. Um, and and nothing else gets into it. So, um, I mean, we have a we have a one-year-old in addition to a three- and five-year-old. But the one-year-old right now, she's still not consistently sleeping through the night. So, like, my best late intentions are sometimes thrown off. But... Um, you know, I try to get up and exercise and get that done out of the way. Cause I know that that sets me up for success for the rest of the day. Um, 
and get the kids off to school. And then, um, then I sit down and I really do that focused work. So whether that's working on patient files or that's being and working on something creative in my business, I know that that's when I do that best email and, and other people's agenda items. Uh, those I generally save for the evening once the kids go down, because I don't necessarily need that creative headspace. I just have to knock things off. Um, and I think, you know, that becomes a challenge when I talk to a lot of my patients even is they're, they're just bogged down and overwhelmed with all the things they have to do. And, and sometimes it's, it feels more like a coaching session than a medical session, but we, we literally strategize around what those priorities look like and which ones require what type of brain energy. Um, and we reorient the time of day that they, uh, that they fall into place. So, you know, for me, I get up, I try to work out. I've, I've got my my muse to help meditate and keep me keep me present. I've got my five minute journal. Those are things that I like to try to fit in in the morning as well, and then grab the kids and then come back, and then I can be really focused on the work that I've got to get done. That's amazing. So with three kids, even and being an entrepreneur and a doctor, we you still carve out that time for that five minutes of, of meditation and muse to kick off the day. Is that right? Yeah, because it takes five minutes. And this is the thing is like, I don't know about you, but people are like, oh, I just totally don't have time for that. And I'm like, you have five minutes for that because you check Instagram for 45 minutes before you go to bed. So let's <laughs> let's chew sure. up that 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 budget and let's put it towards something where you're just like really mindful and really focused. And and I think when you do things that one, bring you back into the present, which we all we just need to practice collectively uh, doing. Um, but when you do things that require that that little bit of discipline in for yourself, you feel really good about that. And that that initiates a whole new biochemical cascade that I think actually assists people's productivity, not necessarily the way those tools intended, um, but because it, it feels it feels good to do something uh, really positive for yourself. Great. I love that. You're definitely starting that day off on the right foot. Now, walking us through the rest of your morning are you you know does is caffeine is coffee playing a role here somewhere to help with that creativity uh, do you cycle that in and out um tell us a bit about your caffeine strategies <laughs> i like that there's like a whole topic of caffeine strategies yeah exactly yeah. it's a big topic you know on this podcast it is i know it is it is in my world too so i um i have a love-hate relationship with coffee um, but for the last, how old are my kids? Five, five years. I've loved it. Um, <laughs> nice. And so, you know, I'm just being really honest with that. And I say to my patients that the thing I get really obsessed with are what are your habits? What are the daily things that you're doing? And, um, for me, you know, running business and having kids, I was like, uh, I kind of, I kind of want that coffee, but if I'm going to do this every day, I've got to do this. I've got to do this right. Um, and so I really limit myself to one cup of cup, cup of coffee a day. Because uh, I know I need that boundary around that, and I usually, if not always, do it in the morning. And then, and then I add things to it. It's like my hijacked coffee. So I put in some collagen protein powder. I put in some uh, lion's mane mushroom into it as well. I blend it with a little bit of grass-fed butter. Like this is a bit of a power coffee. Um, and then I kind of carry on my day there and different people are going to have different relationships with caffeine so i don't think it's bad for everybody i'm certainly not sweeping in my judgment of caffeine in my practice but then i have other people whose whose adrenals and hormones are, are just so thrown off um, and we know that coffee is the culprit so you know i'm going to address it on an individual basis with people this is not carte blanche that coffee's good um, it really depends on on the person and how you're and how you're leveraging it but i always say to people if you're having coffee because you love coffee and you love the ritual of coffee then that's great let's make it work for you if you're having coffee because you 100% need it 
then that's a different story. We need to we need to address what's missing so that this is something that's adding to your day, not uh, not an addiction. That's great. I mean, it's I'm always amazed at how many people, no matter if they're executives, brain surgeons. I mean, this black and white view we tend to fall back into as humans of good or bad for me. And coffee is definitely one of those ones where people are either on one side of the fence or the other. So I like that strategy of just finding the right right approach for that person. And, and we're going to talk all about kind of stress management here on the back end of this podcast because I know you've got some great tips there. But as we uh, keep going here on the entrepreneurial side for yourself in terms of being an entrepreneur, like what are some of the obstacles that uh, you know, you've encountered or, or that uh, you know, a starting a young entrepreneur might, might find themselves encountering on that road? Yeah, listen, I mean, there's obstacles every day. That's part of what I enjoy about this, this path. Um, you know, one thing I found in the last few years in particular is just it takes a lot of physical stamina. Um, I don't think people appreciate just how much work it is because you just never turn off. You're just constantly going. So you, you certainly need some boundaries around that. I found that that is something that I've definitely encountered and, and I've really had to slow down and be strategic about that because if I'm going to talk to, I mean, a lot of my patients are entrepreneurs, if I'm going to talk to them about how to create that balance, I have to be able to walk that talk. Um, you know, one thing I found in the last year or two um, in running a startup is, um, so I have three kids, my youngest is one. And when I was uh, 10 months pregnant with my third, uh, we were in a fundraising round and this was something I never encountered and not directly related to health, but maybe more so to real life, um, in terms of obstacles. And so we were in a room full of investors and it didn't even, this didn't even, I mean, it crossed my mind beforehand, but I was so in the zone. Um, I realized I was standing in front of all of these men pitching for money and I was eight months pregnant. And it was sort of this, right? It was this elephant in the room and everyone's like, uh, do we ask? Do we? And I get it. I get why they wanted to know like what your plans are because, um, if I was going to drop a huge sum of money, I'd like to know that the person handling it isn't about to just take off. Um, and, and so it was really, it was a really, it was a really fascinating time to watch that because I think, you know, especially as women in, in business, we're like, we can do everything the same. Um, and we can. Um, but then there are there are times where we're just in unique life circumstances, and this isn't a, a gender bias one way or another. But I think sometimes as as entrepreneurs or as as people who are career minded, uh, we like to think that there are no limitations in terms of where we're at and how we can proceed. And I think um, I think sometimes there are, there are. And, uh, and in particular, you know, I talk about this with people with their health all the time. Sometimes I'm like, you know what, I know you want to just keep pushing, but you can't, you physically can't keep, uh, you can't keep doing this. Your health is deteriorating or you're about to give birth or, and, and I think being able to reframe this, not as a sign of weakness or as a sign of, I can't do it, or I'm not the same as everybody else, but as a, you know, at the end of the day, there are ebbs and flows in life where, uh, you have different things that are at the top of that, uh, that priority list. And so that was a really great, uh, it was a really great reminder. It was frankly kind of awesome, uh, to be able to sort of command that room uh, in that state and handle it. But it was also, you know, I was, um, it was a really poignant pause for me in terms of being able to stop and, and be like, you know, you need to be able to separate what your priorities are, are too, and, and find a way to navigate it. Yeah, you can definitely get that a lot with, you know, type A personalities and entrepreneurs. And I'm always amazed that people will take so much time to make sure that their phone is fully charged and plugged in. Um, but yet they, it's it's tough for them to realize that their bodies are running on, on low batteries or, 
you know, the other analogy of the car, if no one would drive their car around, if the engine was rattling around, they'd definitely take it in. But, but a lot of people are, are, are right. doing that with their, in their day to day. Um, right. so yeah, any, any tips for, for, for entrepreneurs? I mean, even just to get the ball rolling can seem really daunting and like this monumental task of how, you know, how do you, how do you get started on this road? Yeah. I mean, listen, I think, I, I think at the end of the day, entrepreneurism is a whole, it is a way of life and it's three dimensional and penetrating. And, and I think for it to be sustaining physiologically and emotionally, uh, you have to understand your why, like, you know, it's like classic Simon Sinek, right? Like understand what people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And, um, in particular for people, and I've always sort of worked in that realm of, of um, social entrepreneurism is when you have a mission, there's a totally different physiological impetus to action than if you're like, no offense to people who have like a garbage truck company, cause that's important too. But it's harder to wake up every day and be like, man, I'm gonna change the world today, right? Like it's, I think when you understand your why and you're on a mission, you're like, I'm gonna solve problems to make people's lives better. So maybe, maybe, garbage com- companies do that. Um, I, I think that that creates a different that creates a different call to action. And, and what that does is like when you get to that place where it's not shiny and fresh and full of dopamine anymore, you can keep going because it's it's bigger than you. So I'm, I really, you know, I, I coach a lot of entrepreneurs too on their businesses. And I'm like, we got to understand why you're doing this. And then the second piece is that um, I think for a venture to be successful, it has to solve a useful problem. And so it's really easy to step back and be like, oh, I have this cool business idea and I'm going to do this and this and this. But if it isn't actually useful to people, it's, it's probably not going to make it. So it's like a really quick algorithm, right? Why are you doing what you do and um, what problem are you, are you going to solve? Um, and then I think you, you just kind of have to jump in. Like when you, have a, when you know why you're doing it and you know what problem you're going to solve, you can just do it. Like break it down into some 90-day goals. Make these things really manageable. And then obviously with my naturopathic lens, you got to keep your body healthy and take care of your health in the process. And you need a plan around that because you get swept up in the emotion of the new venture and you stay awake for three days and you just, you just keep plowing. Um, and it really takes a little bit of mindful discipline to pull back and be like, man, I've got to make this sustainable too. It's, it's, you know, the car analogy, right? It's like, if we're going to head out into the desert and this is super exciting, we should actually stop at the gas station before we go out there because there's no refueling once we get in the thick of it. That's great advice. Um, and I love that, you know, with the why and of course, you know, solving a useful problem is, is there ways of, of trying to nail down, you know, figuring out what are useful problems that, that people can start to solve? Or how was that for you in terms of, of coming to that end? Yeah, I always, I know people ask this, like, there's like, is there a, like a process? Is there an app I can use to find useful solutions? <laughs> there's gotta be an app, right? There's gotta be an app. Um, no, you gotta talk to people. And, um, and I find that it's amazing how many people, they're like, is there an app for that? I'm like, no, no, you just talk to people. And, um, and you listen to them and I find it, I find I have like 10 business ideas a day sitting in practice because my patients are sitting across from me and then all they, they pay me to share the problems with me. So I'm like, yes, that's a good idea. And that's a good idea. And let's see who's solving that problem for you. So, you know, the most useful businesses and the ones that we all step back and we're like, oh, that was such a good idea is because they're just solving a simple problem for people in people's day-to-day lives. So, you know, I think that, I don't think it doesn't take an app and it doesn't take a book to figure that out. You just have to listen to people and you'll, you'll start to hear it when you start to look through the lens of, is there a solution for that that exists already? And can I create a solution that I could scale? 
those are like just two simple funneling questions for people around entrepreneurism. Suddenly you're like, oh, I do have 10 business ideas a day. But it's when we have no framework to, to go by when we're listening to people or if we're not even looking at it through that lens that we're like, oh, I can't, I can't come up with anything. Um, but listen to people. People love to talk about their problems. So um, just give them, give them a floor and open there your you ears go. and you're good to go. Especially if we have a, you know, a lot of doctors, therapists, trainers listening to this. Uh, so they're definitely hearing a lot of people's problems. So there you go. Right. Just tap into your own uh, clientele and you'll get lots of great stuff. And I love your last point there of just jumping in. You know, Oftentimes uh, I've heard a great quote about you know, you're either moving toward the mountain or away from the mountain. You know, and that idea of, of your, it's going to be smaller steps of just kind of chipping away at the process, moving towards your end goal versus this idea of just being able to get to the top of that mountain in a couple, a couple quick steps, right? Yeah. And, you know, you know, to that point, I'll just say this because I hear people say this all the time and when I'm coaching them and they're like, yes, but, you know, I'm a perfectionist. And I'm just, it's like nails down a chalkboard for me. So, you know, when we were all first getting our first job and we knew the question would be like, what is your one flaw? We were all like, oh, we'll just tell them we're perfectionists. And <laughs> if I'm hiring people and they're like, I'm a perfectionist, it is the biggest red flag for me because in my experience, perfectionism is just a fancy word for procrastination, right? We're just constantly like, oh, the logo wasn't perfect enough. And then, you know, I didn't have the right mic exactly to launch the podcast or like there was always something and there always will be something you've just, you got to launch and you've got to just learn and you, and it won't be perfect. And once you recognize that, that perfection is not what people are looking to buy, um, then it, it changes the lens on that. But, uh, yeah, perfectionism that, that works for like the first 10 years of your career. And then you've got to move, you got to get out of it. That is great advice because I know that's definitely one where people can get bogged down and you hear that a lot, this idea of perfectionism and that being really the ideal to be shooting for. And, you know, with what you're telling us is effectively that's a great way to really stall your progress and just be stuck in on the minutia versus moving forward towards, you know, that major end goal. Yeah, for sure. Now let's shift gears here a little bit onto the health side of things because obviously we've got uh, busy people, entrepreneurs, executives. Uh, we talked about you know, becoming an entrepreneur. Now, what about surviving as an entrepreneur or these busy people? How do they, how do you deal with your stressed out clients or help them to, you know, I always talk about increasing resiliency. You know, we can't always change yeah. the stress levels in someone's life, but we can certainly increase their capacity to cope with stress. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about that and what you see in your practice? Right. Yeah. I think for a lot of these people, they need to know where they're at. So I do a lot of functional testing in my, in my practice so that they get an objective measure of where their health is at. So these are people who live by key performance indicators in their business and they are either working for themselves or have investors who are like, you know, where are we at on our, on our KPIs? Um, and so I have key performance indicators that I look at with respect to people's health. So we do assessments around, uh, adrenal health. Absolutely. We do assessments around digestive health. Absolutely. Uh, we'll do some work with heart rate variability, looking at, um, their physical resilience with respect to stress. So I like to do objective testing because I think sometimes once you start to see it, um, it's harder to deny things. Um, and I also just think throwing the conversation on the table. So, you know, when we do group work with entrepreneurs and we're doing any kind of facilitation work and we, and we have people articulate and identify what their top levels of stress are in their life, it's amazing once you disarm people and you get them talking, how many people are like, it is my health or it's balancing uh, business and family. Those are like the top two things. And usually with respect to the health piece, frankly, it's usually anxiety. And people who hang out in a future state, which are most entrepreneurs, 
uh, we know that future state people have a propensity towards uh, towards anxiety. Um, and I think sometimes just throwing these things on the table and normalizing that for people um, and letting them know that they're not the only ones opens up the conversation uh, with respect to their, their health. Um, so we certainly do a lot of objective testing and then we put things in there that are usually simple to start with sometimes supplementation wise or sometimes just lifestyle things where they're going to feel a really strong impact right away um, because then we start to have a little bit of, of buy-in. So whether that is a strategic change in terms of diet and incorporation in terms of exercise or sometimes like we don't even touch those things. We're just like, you're going to, you're going to take this, this supplement, whatever it happens to be, it might be nutrient based or otherwise for three weeks and then we're going to talk again. But when people start to feel a shift, they're like, whoa, I didn't realize I had the potential to feel better than I was. Then then we can start to create an individualized plan. That's great. I mean, I, I just read a recent uh, study that talked about, you know, telling patients you're going to improve your health in the long run, you know, in terms of the buy-in factor, the compliance was incredibly low because people just can't think that far in the future. They're so bogged down with what they have to do now that Right. You know, on the flip side, the ones who said, you know, this is what you're going to get by the end of the week. This is how we can change that symptom. Or like you mentioned, two or three weeks, the buy-in and compliance was, you know, much, much higher. So it's that's, that's a great uh, tactic there to kind of really get people feeling better in the in that short term. Now, what about some of the common roadblocks or things that you see on that, whether it's mental stress, physical stress? What are, what are people struggling with that are busy and on the run and constantly on the go? Um, yeah. So, I mean, listen, these people are, they are stressed. Um, but I, you know, for me, I talk about stress as a force on a system. And so at the end of the day, all of these forces end up becoming biochemical. So whether it is you've got anxiety and stress related to deadlines and investors, or you have stress because you don't, you have a cup of coffee in the morning, you don't eat till two o'clock and your blood sugar is so mismanaged uh, that your, your physical body is releasing similar stress hormones. It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. So we certainly do a stress inventory and the mental emotional part is only part of it. And, and we're used to that part because that's the part we can tangibly feel. Um, because we've never looked at things through, through another lens. So we, I put together a stress inventory for them where we get a sense of all of the stressful forces that are pushing on their system. And, and then we create a, we create a plan moving forward. But I find it's, it's certainly mental, emotional stress. It's certainly, I, I think that blood sugar management is a huge issue for entrepreneurs. They're not eating as a collective group. Um, and they, they clout that in like, Oh, I'm in a state of ketosis, but really you just haven't eaten. Um, and so, you know, I think there's those basic pieces that we need to uh, we need to manage uh, for them from that perspective. And then it will all come down to time. So eventually we'll just the conversation will always circle back and I'll be like, this is great, but I don't have time to do it. Um, and that's where we really pull out that conversation around time management and, and prioritization. And for me, the prioritization is your business priorities, your family priorities and your health priorities. And those are the three that we tackle and we always come back to. Um, but that's a work in progress. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right in the sense of you got to some people sometimes people have to really be honest with themselves and look themselves in the mirror because it's amazing how you know people who are can be very high up or executives or CEOs and 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 even they will sort of find these excuses of well I can't do that I don't have the time and 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 oftentimes it's well no you're making a choice not to, not to do it right um, so bringing that back on on your clients whether you're a trainer or a physician or whatnot is a is a, is a key tactic for sure. Um, and you know what, I'm just going to say one thing there is yep. one of the things I say to them 
because they'll do that. Like, I don't have time. I'm running this whole company, and I'm and, and like and I have some people. That sometimes they have thousands of employees under them, and I and I just stop them, and I'm like, this is regardless of your health or how you feel personally, this is a leadership issue. So if the leader of a company cannot make time to manage their health, then in essence, what's being said to every employee in your business is you guys don't have time to prioritize your health either, and that that is a that is a corporate strategy that you need to understand that you are now articulating to your company as a whole. So if you are going to make the investment of having yoga rooms and timeout chairs and all these other things that businesses are, are looking at doing to attract young talent, but out of the same mouth you're saying, but by the way, you don't have time to use them and you'll be penalized for being seen in that room, then, then we have a, an incongruency. Um, and when you bring it back to leadership for people who thrive on being strong leaders, Suddenly we have uh, we have a captive ear, but I sincerely believe that I don't think that you can have very poor personal leadership around how you manage your own health, and then tell everybody it's okay for them to do it. It's just it's it's like a parent saying, "Eat vegetables while I have my bag of chips." It just it doesn't fly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's this is really it's really really key, and I think that's language that that captures the attention of this particular population. That's great. Fantastic. I mean, dovetailing from that here, I want to ask you a question around um, another article I'd read about, you know, CEOs or, or entrepreneurs prioritizing sleep and, and naps of one, one of the major things, this idea that they're, you know, these 20 minute, 60 minute naps carving out this time. Is, is that something that you, um, you know, utilize in your in your practice that you see people doing or not doing? I have huge conversations around sleep with people and huge conversations with myself around sleep. Um, and I, I said to my husband the other day, I'm like, I went to bed at 10 o'clock. I feel like a million bucks. Like, I don't know a supplement that could make me feel this good. It was a good reminder. Um, I have to say, I don't, I don't in all honesty know any of my clients who are sleeping during the day, despite ample advice and conversations around its benefits. Um, I think I think in my experience, there's still an incongruency between there's this literature and research around these cool Silicon Valley businesses that have sleep pods where people are getting 20 minute naps and then seeing that translate into, um, into real life. I don't see it in my, I don't see it in my practice. Although I think they'd probably benefit from putting their head down for 20 minutes, uh, during the day. Like I think there's a lot of emerging evidence around the, the sleep piece. I don't see people doing it yet. I'm not sure if you do. I would love I, for them to. I think you're right in the sense that people don't tend to – I think a lot of clients think that they need to actually physically fall asleep. I think when you look at a 20-minute nap of just even closing your eyes, you know, you get that increase in alpha brainwave activity, which is, again, going to maximize people's efficiency, which is sort of what you're talking about and the fact that people are trying to always do it, the run through the brick wall, we're going to exert as much force as we can to get this done versus – uh, sort of having that karate kid wax on wax off type of efficiency where you can you can maximize your output with being really efficient and I think uh, yeah that's where napping can have a lot of benefits but like like you mentioned it's a tough sell for a lot of people right like unless you're uh, mm -hmm. unless you're unless you've got your sleep pod in the office it's a it's not as easy to incorporate now any tips that you might give then for your clients yeah I mean a lot of them are working they're working at a desk um, and so uh, I have them set alarms throughout the day to just make sure they're standing up. A, a lot of progressive offices now have stand-up desks, which is amazing. Um, so people are just, they're just changing their physical posture, um, removing distractions. So like this crazy, insane, busy, full desk and workspace. And like, you know, let's, let's just, let's keep it clear so that you have a clear priority in front of you. Um, and then two physiological things. I use an app. Here we go. Here are the apps. Nice, um, nice. 
I use an app called Focus at Will, and there's other ones that work, but Focus at Will, it's a subscription series, and it's it's music that you can listen to that actually helps to mitigate distractions and helps influence people's capacity to enter into a state of flow, um, and especially in open concept work environments, which I'm not sure physiologically is is maybe the, the best for, for capturing uh, people's ability to get into flow. This is a really this is a really nice tool uh, to help mitigate distraction. So when you're listening to music that you know the words of, it, it carries your brain off in a different in a different place. But um, when we can stimulate the brain in, in such a way that um, it's directing additional focus, it can be really helpful for people. So that's one thing that I use from an auditory perspective. Um, and then I'm also just really clear with people. We got to we have to create opportunities for focus. Uh, but we need to uh, mitigate this this blood sugar um, stress on your system. So it's one thing if we have intermittent fasting and different things going on, in which case you need to be strategic about how that is operating for you. But this situation that I think is a slippery slope for people where they grab the cup of coffee on their way out at the door in the morning and they drop the kids at work and then they're at their desk and and then they grab another cup of coffee and they're not hungry till two o'clock because they're floating on, on adrenaline and, and other hormones, that's dangerous. And, and that isn't productive. And that isn't going to create sustainability to what it is that you are working on. So um, making sure that they are, they're eating uh, good quality foods, that they've got a bag of good quality beef jerky in their, in their desk, for example, um, just awesome. to help manage their blood sugar. These are things that I'm like, these are little tools you need to have in your back pocket. Yeah, it was interesting. There's a study that came out, and again, intermittent fasting can be a great strategy uh, when used effectively, but there's a study came out showing, you know, we're seeing lower levels of free T and T3 thyroid hormones as well with some of the intermittent fasting at various times of the year. So it's interesting, you know, with circadian rhythms and whatnot, like you mentioned, just make sure you're timing things correctly or, or periodizing it because we're seeing a lot of good stuff around making sure you get breakfast in to help support you know, circadian rhythms, which is a really big thing, especially in here in Toronto or anywhere else that's cold in the wintertime where it's dark and the days are short and it's tougher to maintain a lot of that energy, right? Yeah, and you know, here, we'll turn the tables because I know this is your your area of um, expertise, but um, I just also collectively don't find women do as well with ketosis or intermittent fasting as men do as a tool for facilitating focus. Um, I just think there's a different hormonal environment. And um, and so it's really a matter of picking these tools so that they are strategically aligned to your outcomes and your unique physiology and not the, I heard it on a podcast, so I'm doing it. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think in women, we've got to be more strategic with even how we use it. And oftentimes when you read the, the blog post or listen to the podcast, we're giving everyone the you know, the, the scenarios where it worked out perfectly, but we just selectively omit all the cases of the people who uh, were chewing their arm off or screaming at their colleagues or all the rest of it. So we got to make sure we, we give people, especially when you're seeing a new client, you've got to give them things like you mentioned that are going to actually make their lives better and focus better in that first three weeks or else uh, they may not come back to see you, right? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, let's shift gears again um, from the stress management on to just, you know, straight brain hacks. How can we help people be their most productive when they're at work um, and maybe even before we get there you touched a bit about caffeine can we talk about uh, alcohol consumption I know people at the end of the day you know with their alcohol consumption how does that influence recovery so any other roadblocks like that that you would see for for brain focus yeah I mean alcohol I, I 
I think that really, it's going to partly depend how old you are um, and how many kids you have. So, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I don't think that alcohol contributes to people's uh, creativity, and I think it gives you a false sense of relaxation, um, but it's also enjoyable when used uh, appropriately, right? So it's a big red flag for me when people are like, I come home or I go to client meetings and I'm having half a bottle of wine every night, or, or even people who are like, I'm drinking every single night. Um, the, you know, there's, there's evidence around the, the moderate incorporation of alcohol, but there's no evidence around the consistent elevated consumption of alcohol. That's not helping anybody. Um, I typically define moderation for people as, uh, no more than four glasses a week, no more than two at a time. And that may or may not seem unrealistic or realistic for people, but I feel like what it is, is it's a conversation piece and it's a starting point so that we have some framework around that. And um, I, I certainly find that that alcohol for my clients is something that deters from their capacity to be uh, creative, um, and it's an additional stress on the body. So um, you know, I, I think there needs to be a balance there. Uh, and I, you know, from that brain hack and that focus piece, the the first one is sleep, and it sounds so basic. But what happens with my busy people is they work all night and they're sitting in front of a screen. And I'm like, if you're sitting in front of a screen, then let's throw some blue blocking glasses on you so that we're blocking that blue light uh, into your brain in the evening. Because um, I'm not going to get them to relax and be off their computer at night. So let's at least work with it. Um, and then let's create a routine leading up to sleep. So as they are, um, as they're getting ready for bed or getting into bed, get your phone away from you. Pull out these really uh, novel innovations called books that are on paper. What are, what are those and, things called? I know, I know. I'll send you one. Um, and like, just read, just read and hold something in your in your hand. Like, get get away from a screen for a period of time. Um, don't check your Facebook. Don't check your Instagram. Your business won't fall apart if uh, if you leave that alone for twelve hours. And actually get some sleep. And I find for people, you know, the more sleep you can get before midnight, uh, it is that much more restorative for them compared to sleep after midnight. And I don't have a study to pull for you on that, but I can say that I've seen that consistently in my clinical practice. Um, and then exercise. So like these are some some basic pieces, right? Like block the blue light go to bed at a consistent time that's usually before 1 a.m. Everybody's body's a little bit different, but usually before uh, midnight, exercise and hydrate. And then if we've got those pieces in place and you can actually do those basics, then we can start to really get in and start to have these really cool, cool hacks. That's where I'd be like, all right, let's pull in the focus at will music and let's get your brain focused. Let's let's use some some lion's mane or some different things in your coffee to help accelerate and accentuate your capacity to uh, to focus. I'm not someone who necessarily leverages a lot of neurotropics or, or other types of um, uh, remedies or nutraceuticals from a brain perspective, although sometimes I will, because I find that when we actually just put basic lifestyle pieces in there and incentivize people to do it consistently, they are hyper-focused at work. Um, but sleep and exercise are, are two of the biggest pieces. If people lack focus, those are two questions I'm always going to circle back to, and they usually are things that are not there in sufficient amounts. Great advice. I mean, I just had uh, Dr. Amy Bender on from uh, the Sleep Institute out in Calgary, and she, she'd mentioned the, you know the having this sleep routine, just as you mentioned, uh, sort of an hour before bed of how we disconnect and, and, and unwind and, and, and get the blue blocking glasses on, et cetera, is, is really a fundamental piece to having allowing our nervous systems that chance to really get into that sleep and recovery mode um, and of course exercise is, is, is phenomenal as well is it, are you in favor of kind of morning exercise for people is there times of days where you think it can really enhance uh, 
you know, creativity or brain function for people? Yeah, I think from a creative perspective, and I was looking at some studies on this, it's interesting. If you're looking at a, at a from a creativity perspective and a productivity perspective, the morning is the best time to exercise. Uh, I was looking at some studies that were looking at, particularly in women, if you're looking at accelerating weight loss between 4 to 6 p.m. can be a beneficial time uh, to exercise. Certainly, if you're someone who's like, I'm going to leverage exercise to help sleep better, then we're back to exercising uh, in the morning again and, and separating that out from when you are uh, you are going to bed. So I, you know, I think it's going to depend on what some of those primary objectives are, but then also realistically what your lifestyle looks like. So I try to get up and go to the gym in the morning because I know that once my kids and my family are awake and running, my time is no longer my own. Um, yeah, for sure. So because sometimes it's just a matter of like, you actually just have to get it in whenever you can get it in. And then if you have the luxury of, of being more strategic than that, then awesome. Let's look at that, that piece as well. Terrific. I like what you mentioned there with um, using the various nootropics. I mean, they tend to be best in smaller, more acute doses versus people who start leaning on them as a full mm -hmm. stop uh, strategy for, for focus. Um, but any other, you know, gentler ones that you find yourself using with clients? Yeah, you know, I'll use a fair bit of adrenal support with people. And again, this is going to be subject to whatever testing we happen to do. So some people's adrenal glands and the adrenal glands, just to be clear, they, they sit on top of the, the kidneys and they, they pump out cortisol, which is a long term uh, stress hormone. And when you're under long term unrelenting stress, however, we're going to define it. Um, they they can they sort of perform in one of two ways. One, they go into the state of hypervigilance, and I do see this with some people. This is like that frenetic stress. Those people where you give them something new and they, they just they buzz like a little electron. I find that those those happen to be adrenal glands that we see are hyperfunctioning, and and I I support those differently. Um, and then there's those people who are they're they're just in that state of like if I don't drink a coffee I can't function, and there's a there's almost a sense of apathy around uh, their energy systems within their body. Um, and, and those are usually more fatigued adrenals and we support those differently. And those are a combination of botanicals and, um, and nutrients. I think for a lot of people too, just general, uh, nutrient support independent of a healthy diet. Um, but you know, your complement of B vitamins and vitamin D and magnesium and things that we see are chronically deficient and depleted in a busy population. And in particular in an urban population, I think because of some of the additional, requirements in terms of detoxification and pollution exposure, uh, I make sure those things are in there. Um, and so, you know, I have some clients who are like, let's just do it all with lifestyle. And I'm like, that's awesome, but you're going to have to quit your job. Uh, <laughs> yeah. this is like, this is full early on. retirement, right? Go for yeah. it. Yeah. You, you want, you want it all, right? You want the super stressful job and career and, and I'm launching a business and I have eight kids and we travel every two weeks, but I totally don't want to take something. I want to just all with lifestyle. Um, and I believe you can have it all, but I just don't think you can necessarily have it all at once. Um, and so sometimes the body just needs a little bit of extra support. And so, you know, and a lot of times it's just those core basic nutrients, uh, that people are not getting into them in a consistent enough basis. They want the, the really cool nootropic, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, but you, you also just like need magnesium, right? So sometimes we kind of have to back it up and start, uh, start slow. Dr. Ming, that's fantastic. I could, uh, we could go on here for, for hours. There's so much uh, great stuff here around entrepreneurship, stress management, brain focus. You've given us some great, uh, tips today. If people want to you know, get in touch with you on the on the interwebs there and get connected with what you're doing. What's the best place for them to go? 
Uh, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle for both is uh, Dr. Megan Walker, and uh, and my website is the same, so meganwalker.com. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to uh, to carry on uh, carry on a conversation with anyone who's interested. That's terrific. We'll have to get you back again in the new year to uh, to go down the rabbit hole a little bit deeper as well. Um, for everyone out there who's joining us, thanks again. Until next time, join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter at Dr. Bubs. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes and uh, join my email list at drbubs.com for all the latest news and insights. Bye for now. The Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcasts.